You're listening to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron and Autumn, a true crime podcast about murder and murdering. But we are not murderers. Welcome back to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron and, and Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're such professionals. We're super profesh. She um, made me bring us back. And every time that happens, it's just pure awkwardness. <laughs> like you're doing this. <laughs> she pushes me to be better. That's right. That's how That's we what- lift each other up. Yes, we lift each other up into betterness, to greatness. Okay, that's enough now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We forgot to tell you, this is an inspirational podcast, no longer a true crime podcast. Lies. (laughs) Lies, complete lies. (laughs) Um, No, we still into the crime. Yeah, definitely (laughs) talking about some murder. Um, So what's new? What's up? It is finally starting to get cold, which has been, yes, which sounds really weird to people who don't live in the Pacific Northwest, but we love this weather. We do. Not everybody does, but you and I in particular actually love it. Yes. And then me being named Autumn has nothing to do with my love for (laughs) fall. (laughs) It just so happens. Are you drinking a pumpkin spice latte right now? Oh man, that would have been really <laughs> fitting to the next love. <laughs> yes, that would have been very fitting, but no, <laughs> I am not. I do. I love the fall. I love the rain. I love all of that. I am like built for this weather. It is my favorite. I love like getting cozy and having yes. tea and like, uh, like all of it. I love walking in the rain. I love the smell of the rain. I love it all. And even your daughter, she loves dancing in the rain. So we're, you're raising yeah. and I, and I said, we are raising, but I changed it to you are, even though I birthed yeah. Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, yeah, my vagina would say different. <laughs> I mean, that's an inside joke between Aaron and I, since I am so it obsessed is. with her daughter. <laughs> True. Story. She's basically um, we share her. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, she's a time yes. share, <laughs> but she lives full time <laughs> with Aaron. I just imagine that she lives with me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. True. Uh, so I am so glad to hear that you're not doing a case with children in it. This, this is week. a special gift to you. Oh God. <laughs> Because That's I do have whole horrifying and exciting. I do have a story for next week that does involve a child. So God damn it, Autumn. But <laughs> I gave you a break this week. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. The story is not sunny and happy by any means, but there are no children. Oh my God. My story is so fucking brutal. That's what you keep telling me. And I'm a little nervous but also very excited. I'm just warning you. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, graphic. So look forward to that after the break, (laughs) we are all super ready for this. Oh, and I'm back to old timey crimey. So 
yeah, this is it's a good old timey crime one. So, so look forward to oof, it's ah, it's a lot. I'm excited. Um, yes. So are you ready to jump right in? I am ready. Nope. She's not. That's it. Podcast <laughs> is over. Thank you for listening. It's done. This is our last episode. I just have to, to tell everybody this is the first case. Well, one of one of the first cases that didn't have a Wikipedia or really any like no murderpedia, no Wikipedia. So I had to. You got to do my yes. style of research. And, I mean, this is a newer ish case. So there are articles on it much, probably much easier sure. than your research, but it was a little challenging for me. <laughs> Yeah. My subscription at newspapers.com is like unreal because <laughs> I have to find all the original uh, articles, which are sometimes a little hard to read because they're like racist and sexist. Right. And you're like, oh, how do I word oh. this differently? <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? Okay. This is a story of Anastasia Solaviva King. Ooh, I like the name. I know it's, I had to practice saying it. I won't lie. (laughs) I do that too. I have, I have to practice. That's why sometimes in the podcast, you'll hear like a weird pause. And then I'm like, and yes, sometimes we do have to back up and say it again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You don't know that it goes out. Yes. But But Aaron works really hard to make it sound like we know what we're talking about. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. In April, 1998, after six months of talking through a Russian mail order bride service, Anastasia Solaviva, 18, arrives at the Seattle Tacoma International Airport to start her new life with fiance, 37-year-old Endel King Jr., Whoa. I know. Starting us off right off the bat and local. Very local. And I just want to say we may think weirdly of the term mail order bride, but some of these people, this is their only option to get out of poverty or where they're from. And it's the only way they see to be able to move to America. Yeah. So there's no, there's no shame in the mail order bride. It's literally what it was called. So that's why I'm calling it that. Um, and yeah, it is what it is. We don't shame no. anybody for their, no for judgment what they here, but that, unless they murder people and then the, yes. they judge that, but that's a 20 year <laughs> age gap as well. Yeah, that is, it's that is a lot. a lot when they don't know each other. Especially. Yes. This is Anastasia's first time leaving Kyrgyzstan, which is in the former Soviet Union. They are set to be married right away, having met in person only once. Three months ago, in December of 1997, when Indel visited Anastasia and her family in Kyrgyzstan. Mm, I don't think I like this I knew already. you wouldn't. <laughs> they have set the terms of their engagement. She will get U.S. citizenship and he will get a family, something that was very important to him. They marry on April 30th, 1998. Anastasia Solaviva was born on December 24th, 
1979 in Kyrgyzstan. Oh, Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Anastasia's family wanted better for their daughter. And when they heard a relative had found love and marriage through a mail order bride service, they signed their only child up right away. Not surprisingly, they started receiving piles of letters with a lot of interest in their beautiful, smart daughter. Her parents were music teachers and taught her to play the piano. She also studied English and could speak three other languages. Oh, wow. She was an honor student and her biggest dream was to live in America. Three languages. She's just very bright, very intelligent. Yeah. The most persistent was Indel King. He wrote and he called and he visited them to win, to win them over. He was an educated man with an MBA from the University of Chicago and came from a wealthy family in Seattle, Washington. He grew up in Mercer Island, Washington. Oh, for those that are not familiar with Mercer Island, it's a very wealthy community on the water, about a 15 minute drive from Seattle. His father, Indel Sr., was an award-winning industrial designer, and his mother, Rosalie, was a university art professor. His father actually designed and built their mansion in Mercer Island himself. Oh, wow. And he even gave a wing of the mansion to Indel. A wing? A wing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I you could- Right? So you could only imagine that this man grew up in the lap of luxury. Sure. Yeah. I can picture it. He went to Mercer Island high school, mm-hmm. all of that. All right. Money bags. We yes. <laughs> he promises them the ideal life for their daughter, where she will be well taken care of and can pursue her dreams. Endel King was not the most attractive man and he knew it. He was overweight and he wore a hairpiece. Oh, I know. And I'm not trying to say that people who are overweight or wear hair pieces can't be attractive, but he knew he wasn't attractive. Mm -hmm. And that's how they described him, right? Yes. And that's how they described him. He often told his friends that he was not interested in Western women because they were not ambitious enough. American women wouldn't appreciate him like these women that were looking for a new life and opportunities in America would. Uh-huh. Sounds like you're just insecure, sir. Agreed. Indel brings Anastasia to their home in Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, a suburb of Seattle. Mm-hmm. She is very happy and excited to start this new chapter in her life with her husband in the land of opportunities. I wouldn't in- call Mount Lake Terrace the land of opportunities. <laughs> America. <laughs> But she didn't know that. I mean, Mount Lake Terrace is. It is. It's like it's. It's a a cute cute little suburb. suburb. (laughs) We said that at the same time. Yes, (laughs) it's a cute little suburb. She's never been to America. Yeah, she grew up in a one-bedroom apartment in Kyrgyzstan. So to her, this is this is awesome. Yes. In the beginning, she has her own room, and they take things slowly, making her as comfortable as possible. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. Anastasia starts to settle into married life, believing she is in love with Indel. Oh, that's good. Right. 
and she enrolls in business classes at the University of Washington, as well as gets a part-time job at a downtown Seattle seafood restaurant, McCormick and Schmitz. You're fucking kidding me. No. And you know what? It took me a very, very long time to find out which restaurant she worked at. Oh my God. You work at Harborside? Yes. (gasps) Okay. I wonder if Timmy knew her. Just so you all know, probably not. But just so you all know, my one of my first jobs was working at McCormick and Schmick's Harborside on Lake Union. And I was a host there for about a year. And I met my dear friend Tim there. It's so crazy to me. Oh, my God. OK, go on. How long did Timmy work there? Um, was he there before you for no, a while? No. Oh, OK. I think, he, I think he started not that long before me and okay. then and then worked there for years after. Yeah, because this is like 1998, 99, 2000 time. So he probably wasn't there. Yeah, I think not because we met in 2002. Yeah, but when I saw that, I was like, oh man, Erin's going to freak when I tell her where she worked. Totally. I was like, is it, was it the Harborside location? I'm like, yes, (laughs) it was. And it took me forever to find the restaurant too, because all they kept Mm -hmm. saying was the seafood restaurant. I'm like, which one? Anastasia begins to make friends and is very popular among her coworkers. This starts to put a strain on her marriage to Indal, as he is very insecure. He often would drive her to work and then sit outside in his car through her entire shift. That's creepy as fuck. Right. He doesn't allow her very many friends and becomes increasingly upset that she hasn't wanted to be intimate with him yet. Yeah. So he's controlling and now he's sounding mm-hmm. like a psychopath. Got it. Yes. And remember his number one goal was to have children and she was Ooh. open to it, but coming here now she's seeing other sides of what her life could be. Yes. And she's so young. She doesn't want children yet. Yeah. And that's totally understandable. Completely. Soon she realizes that he is not as well off as he had portrayed himself to be. Mm. They have to start taking boarders into their home to help make ends meet. Ooh, what happened to his wing? So he, his parents have the money. money, Mm -hmm. So he used that for to talk them into sending her. Yes. So he's from a well-to-do family. But he himself is no longer well-to-do because his parents are not supporting him. Mm. This is not Endel's first marriage, not even his first mail-order bride. Oh. He was previously married in 1993 to Yekaterina Kozakova, who divorced Endel after three years and won $55,000 in the divorce settlement. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So he's kind of bitter from that. But he has a clear uh, type. Yes. Well, he doesn't remember. He doesn't feel that Western women will appreciate him. Sure. Anastasia is not happy with her marriage, but she knows that she must be married to him for three years to be eligible for U.S. citizenship. Yeah. In the summer of 2000, two years into their marriage, Endel gets fired from his job and begins to take money from Anastasia. Endel was corresponding with other prospective mail order brides. Anastasia was seeing other men and keeping a list of her husband's transgressions. Oh my God. He threatened to hurt her, 
forced her to have sex and forbade her from going to a counselor. Oh my God. She wrote all of this in this journal that she hid in a safety deposit box. I hate him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She also kept $2,500 stashed away secretly from him. Good for her. Yes. Just putting, she was just biding. It sounds like she was just biding her time with him at this point. Yeah. Growing increasingly depressed, Anastasia visits her family in Kyrgyzstan. With their marriage falling apart, Indo files for divorce in August of 2000. And in September of 2000, Anastasia flies back to visit her family for the second time that summer. Seemingly having a change of heart, Indol goes to Kyrgyzstan to convince her to come back with him and give their marriage another try. For what reason? Ew. Yes, exactly. Disgusting. On September 22nd, they arrive home and take a shuttle to their home, and Anastasia is never seen again. Her friends and family report her missing after she fails to show up to her classes at the university or to work at the restaurant. Police question Indel, and he claims they got in a fight at the Moscow airport and she never came back with him. Lies. Detectives find footage and the flight manifest, and they were on that flight together and show them leaving customs together at the Seattle Tacoma airport. Oh, Autumn. I know. When confronted with this information, Indel slaps his knee looks the detectives in the eye and says, you mean to tell me she was on that flight? You're kidding. No, I honestly wish I was. You're a bad liar, friend. Yes, a bad liar. It becomes obvious to the investigators that something sinister has happened to Anastasia and they put surveillance on Indel, which leads them to the Snohomish County Jail to this former tenant 21-year-old Daniel Larson. Daniel was in jail for soliciting sex with a 16-year-old Ukrainian girl at the Alderwood Mall. That is so gross. Isn't that disgusting? I hate that. When confronted, it did not take long for Daniel to confess to helping Indel murder his wife. What? In December 2000, Larson led investigators to Anastasia's body buried in a shallow grave on the Tulalip Indian Reservation, 25 miles away from their home. Oh my God. At trial, Daniel Larson testified that Indel King had enlisted him to kill Anastasia so he could avoid another expensive divorce like the one from his first wife. Oh my God. Which we know cost him $55,000 that he just doesn't have anymore. Daniel said Indel lured Anastasia into the garage the night they returned, then grabbed her in a bear hug while Daniel slipped a nick tie around her neck. Oh my they, God, no. They forced her back into the house where the 270 pound Indel lay on top of her while Daniel twisted the neck tie around her neck until she was no longer breathing. Jesus Christ. They stripped her body and cut off her long blonde hair, wrapped her in a dog blanket, then stuffed her into a shallow grave. Why did they cut off her hair? Honestly, I think it was just him being petty, like an asshole. Like you're you're so beautiful, but not no more. You know what I mean? 
That is awful. I it is that. awful. Endo King Jr. was found guilty of the murder of his wife and sentenced to 29 years in prison. On February, right. On February 24th, three days after handing down their verdict, all but two of the jurors joined Anastasia's parents at a graveside service. They held hands in a circle around the grave and prayed. Her parents gave each of them a chocolate egg, one of Anastasia's favorite treats, and the jurors gave the parents a plaque. In remembrance of Anastasia, it read, who only wished to follow her dream. Oh, that is My so source, sad. isn't that the, like, seriously, honestly, it just breaks my heart in a million that pieces. Is so sad. My sources were the Kitsap Sun, ID Channel, Web of Lies, the podcast Going West, Seattle Times, and King Five. My God, that is so sad. I know. And it wasn't, you know, typically my stories are a little bit longer, but there wasn't really a lot of information on this one. Sure. But I felt that her story was so important to tell. I agree. I just, on, I mean, not only is it local, and then there was a connection to McCormick and Schmitz where I was like, oh man, but yeah. the sadness of this. It's sad. And it also sucks that, you know, women are put into that position. Mm-hmm. And she was just coming here to better her life. And the part that really kept getting to me was like three year thing. Like you have to be here and married to this human for three years before you can be a citizen. I'm like, couldn't. I don't know. Like, couldn't there be like a different kind of rule? She was enduring being forced into sex. She was enduring. Yes. Being basically this shouldn't be, that shouldn't be how things are. No, it really shouldn't. It was, it was very, very sad when I was reading that. I'm like, she just wanted an education. She wanted a better life. She was dreaming of living in America, this bright young woman. We should welcome her with open arms and she shouldn't have had to be married to this monster. Absolutely not. I still, that's the hair cutting off is still stuck in my brain. Yeah. Isn't that just so tragic? Because obviously it was a, there was no reason for that other than that guy ratted on him. Yes. Right. His friend, his tenant was like, well, okay, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad he did. And I mean, of course, Endel denied it for a really long time. He was like, no, Anastasia wanted him to leave and wanted him to move out. And then he killed him. And I'm like, I'm like, no, that's no one believes you and all you're a horrible liar. The slapping of the knee. You mean she was on the same place. She sat next to you. Yeah. I don't like that. Mm -mm. And there's video footage of the two of you walking out of customs together. Yeah. I I mean, do you not? He, what? Well, but, I am glad that you told her story. And I do always love when we find a local one. And I cannot believe the McCormick and Schmicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and that it is the same location I worked at, too. Right. I was in my head. I was like, what if Timmy was there and knew her? But I, mean, I would love that. But I don't think he was. <laughs> I don't think he was either. But we'll ask him anyhow. Yes. <laughs> and he does listen to the podcast. So. Hi, Timmy. Hi, Timmy. We love you. We do. We love you very much. Yeah. No, it's kind of funny. Tim was listening to the podcast months ago and um, 
all of my friends know that if I have more than one coffee, I tend to talk really fast. I talk fast anyway, but mm-hmm. I just, I'm on 11. And Tim was listening to our podcast and he was like, Jesus, did you have two coffees today? And then I was like, well, no, why? And he's like, you're talking so fast. And then he realized that he had accidentally bumped the speed up <laughs> on his, on the on his podcast on his podcast player. Oh my and god, so, that's so cute! Literally, like, <laughs> and then murder, murder, murder. <laughs> okay, that's so cute. That's what I think I sound like. Anyway. Um, okay, well, we are going to take a quick break, and then we will come back, and I will tell you one of the most brutal murders I have ever heard it i think it tops maybe tops murder castle what so yeah it's gnarly okay. i mean she's been telling me all week that this is coming but i didn't know it topped murder castle yeah it's pretty it's pretty it's it's a rough one but Can't it's like interesting but it's real interesting <laughs> okay we'll be back in a minute and we are back so we are ready to jump right into my story, right? No chatting. No chatting. No chatting. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> I'm sick of you. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's not the first time she said that, folks. What? And Autumn's supposed to be the nice one. Psh. Anyway. Who said that? <laughs> no one ever. <laughs> Wait. What? I think we're equally nice. Mm, I don't know that many people would describe me as nice. <laughs> anyway, here's the, <laughs> I'm going to start into my story. And that, and that folks is how we have been for 20 plus years. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. You ready on Yes, of course. This is the story of murderous Martha Haney. Just a quick disclaimer. This case deals with severe mental illness and uses outdated terminology. It's also gruesome and it is described as one of Michigan's most horrific murders. Also, Michigan's Lizzie Borden case. Hmm. Let's start with a little backstory. Martha Haney was one of seven children. It was reported that she had a terrible childhood. I don't have any other details, but her brother said that she endured a lot in her childhood and that he was so sad she ended up suffering because of it. But we don't have any details. When she was 16, she was married to a 21-year-old named John Woodard in 1894. They had three children. He left her and did not take them with him. They just disappeared. The children. They just disappeared and no one ever found out what happened to them. Martha told her later husband, Alfred Haney, that she adopted out the two older children. And the biggest mystery was about the youngest. Numerous people had heard that one day she left with the child who was under two and came back without her. She said she had given her away. The general consensus was that she disposed of the child or the other two children. But in a news article, May 6th, 1897, it said that she actually did not kill her youngest child and that she had in fact given her to a Reverend W.S. Sly of Lansing 
And he was well known as someone who would, who ran an orphanage and cared for unwanted children. So she did actually give her up for adoption and he confirmed that. Um, but there was still no confirmation about the other two children. We are led to believe that she gave them up for adoption since she, we know for sure that she did once. So the hope is that that is what happened. Interesting. Yeah. Her sister Florence said that she was glad that she gave up the kids because her sister's mental state was not good for them to be around. She married Alfred Haney in 1894 and they originally moved in with his mother, Mariah, but the upkeep of the family farm was just too much. So Alfred bought a small, simple house at 320 Elevator Street near a mill. He moved there with his wife and his mother, Mariah. Mariah Haney was somewhere between the ages of 80 to 85, depending on the source. A lot of times back then, they didn't have great records Mm -hmm. and all of that. So I don't have a specific age for her, but we know she was somewhere between 80 and 85. Okay. Mariah did not trust Martha, and she did not like that Alfred had married her. Alfred reported that he saw his mother and his wife fight all the time. He said they would push each other physically and verbally, but they never hit each other. Alfred said that the fighting happened mostly while he was at work, and he would hear about the fighting from the neighbors or the mill workers next door. On April 24th, 1897, Police were brought to the house at 320 Elevator Street. As they walked up to the front door, they could see that it was hanging on by only one hinge and appeared to have been hacked through. What? This, there was also a terrible smell of burning flesh and decay you could smell from the outside where there was now a large crowd gathering. When they entered the home, They saw the floor was covered in blood. In fact, blood was just about everywhere. The sofa was soaked through. There was a blood trail where someone had been dragged leading to the back door. The officers began getting ill with the smells. Yeah. Within the pools of blood, there were clumps of gray hair and dents in the floor like someone had hit it with a heavy weapon. They followed the trail of blood and the police ended up in the kitchen where they found a decapitated body. But the body hardly looked like a body. It was resting on the floor and it had been burned beyond recognition. The clothing that they were wearing was melted into their skin and on the floor. There were slippers on the feet and they too were melted into the body. Police reported they could smell a strong scent of kerosene and assumed that someone had coated the victim in it to start the fire. Oddly enough, it also appeared the body had been doused in water multiple times as if someone tried to put out the fire. Police then turned their attention to a kitchen table to the left of where they stood. On the table were dishes with rotting food. Clearly the house had been in disarray for a while and it was filthy. Dirty dishes were everywhere and no one had been cleaning in some time. Here's where it gets worse. In the middle of the table was a plate with a knife and fork on the side of it. And as the centerpiece was on a platter was a head of an elderly woman. Oh my God. 
The table was covered in blood and was facing one specific seat at the table. The head was left with its eyes and mouth open. It was covered in blood, bruises, and laceration. Police officers had to keep leaving the scene because they were retching and getting sick. The house was so unclean to begin with, but the smell of the burnt flesh, blood, and rotting food was just too much. Police began to investigate the rest of the house for a murder weapon. In the bedroom, they noticed the floor was covered in water and a window had been broken into. Police went downstairs to find a second trail of blood leading to the back of the house. They found more blood and a blood-soaked axe under the stairs. The head on the table had belonged to the matriarch of the house, Mariah Haney. They were outside and they found Martha, who was digging in the backyard with her bare hands. When asked what she was doing, she said she had just murdered her mother-in-law. She was arrested immediately and taken to the village lockup before heading to the town jail. Police described her as looking off. They said she had dark eyes and her face appeared to be sunken in. She was emaciated. Police disliked her so much that they argued over who would go in and question her because they did not want to talk to her at all. So they fought over it. Many people in the village knew that something was not okay about Martha. And they went out of their way to avoid her when they saw her long before the murder. She regularly spoke to either hallucinations or voices in her head. Alfred had said that in the, in the past three weeks, this had escalated. Ooh. The village doctor, Frank Sumway, was called in to check on the mental state of Martha. When the police told him that they believed she killed someone, the doctor said he wasn't surprised. Ironically, Martha was scheduled to have an appointment with that doctor the morning of the murder. However, she did not show up. It is important to note that the appointment was not made by Martha, but by her husband, Alfred. And I'm going to elaborate on this just a little later. During questioning, Martha was sitting on the floor wrapped in a blanket. She wouldn't speak to the police, but she would nod her head as the two doctors asked her questions. Martha did not hesitate to tell them that she killed Mariah. But when asked why she did it, she would just stare at them. That's a little eerie. Ooh, it gets eerier. As they were leaving, she said, wait, we argued about a photo that belonged to Mariah. Then she went on to explain that Mariah had gotten angry and hit Martha in the back. And that escalated into screaming. The mill workers nearby recall hearing them yelling. They saw Martha storm out of the house and Mariah locked her out. Oh, That's geez. when she lost it. The photo was of Mariah's late husband, John. And Martha took out the photo and replaced it with a picture of her three kids. Mariah saw this and was furious. She wanted to know where the picture of John went. The workers assumed this is more of their regular fighting. So they just went back about their business. What they didn't know was that while locked outside, Martha began searching for their axe and proceeded to axe her way through the front door as Mariah watched in horror. You know what this reminds me of a little bit? What? The Shining. Yep. Here's Martha. Right? Yes. <laughs> she said that she struck Mariah with the blunt end of the axe in, on her head first. 
Then she turned it around and took the sharp end to her face. Once on the floor, she began stomping on her body, breaking numerous bones. She said she could hear the gurgling and breathing through it. Then she told police, my mother told me to kill her. They learned shortly after that her mother had died seven years prior. Oh. It was said that she talked to her mother all the time. She claimed the voice said, kill the old woman and spoke to her the entire time throughout the murder. She continued to tell them that she hit her again and it opened her skull that time. Remember how I told you that they saw little gray hairs all over the place? Mm-hmm. She said it took two blows to decapitate her. Oh my God. She continued to tell the police, I killed her. She did not kill me. And um, yeah, because you're alive and telling us an interview. Yes. <laughs> Next, she said she picked up the head by the hair and placed it on the platter so it would face Alfred's chair. That way, Mariah could look at her son. She then became worried about what to do with the rest of the body. So she poured kerosene from the oil lamps on the body, then used coals from the fire, heated them in a pan, and proceeded to place the coals between Mariah's legs to ignite the body. She was clearly suffering from severe mental illness. Mm -hmm. Police had to locate Alfred after questioning Martha, and they found him drinking at a local pub with friends. Alfred was a mess because he already knew what had happened. Alfred was taken in for interviewing. He was a hard laborer and the community would help them out from time to time because they were living in severe poverty. Oh, that makes me sad. I know. Alfred described their house as cheerless. Hmm. That's sad. That's really, really depressing. He said that Martha's mental health had been escalating. And that they didn't sleep in the same bed anymore. She was talking to people that weren't there and her anger was constantly turning to rage. He said he felt scared to leave his mom as Martha was talking more and more to herself, but he couldn't miss work as it, the income was literally what kept them alive. He had made an appointment for Martha to see the doctor because he was really concerned. When this was brought up to Martha, she became extremely angry but he did get her to agree to go see him. Then she started to get paranoid, saying it was all Mariah that arranged the doctor's appointment, and she was the real reason she had to go, that Mariah thought she was just crazy. So the day of the appointment and subsequent murder, Alfred got up in the morning, ready to take her to her appointment, and Martha was standing there, just smiling. She seemed filled with joy, genuinely. He hadn't seen her smile in so long. She said she never felt better and the best she's felt in weeks. She said she was ready to turn things around and said she wanted to go and see the doctor, but maybe the following day. So Alfred didn't miss work because they really needed that money. Alfred agreed. Then he came home for lunch and he noticed a terrible odor from the house. Oh no. Smell fire. He walked in to see his mother's head on the platter. Workers and neighbors heard his screams and saw him run out of the house. The neighbors thought that it was just the house on fire, so they rushed into action, filling buckets, trying to put it out. One person ran into the house. They saw something smoldering on the floor, so he dumped a bucket of water on it. 
then realized the lump was a decapitated body. He turned to look and see Mariah's head on the platter. Then Martha walks out of the bedroom wearing only underwear and looked at him and kept walking. She went back into her room and put on another dress. She had taken the dress that she wore during the murder and laid it on Mariah's body to burn. Then she proceeded to lay down on the couch. And as the man stared at her, she got up and started peeling the wallpaper off the walls. Oh my goodness. He was freaked out, obviously. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm freaked out so too. He ran out the back door and she followed him. Then she gets down on the ground and just starts digging with her bare hands in the dirt. Now at that time, Alfred has, had reached the sheriff and told him he had to go to the house. When they got there, they found Martha still digging. And that's when she confessed to the murder of her mother-in-law. Martha was moved from lockup to the village jail. When Martha was in custody, the police conducted a coroner's inquest. Do you know about this, Autumn? It's crazy. No, I don't know about it. So a coroner's inquest is to prove that a crime was committed. The inquest had to happen in the crime scene, so in the house. What they have to do is choose six law-abiding men, ugh, <laughs> and it's literally anyone willing to come look at the scene. They bring them and take an oath and decide whether a crime had been committed. They got several of these people from the local pub. They just walked in and was like, anybody want to go and do this corner's inquesting? Um, oh yeah, God. you three will do. You, wow. And that's what they would do. And so it was literally anybody to decide if the crime was committed. Now, they arrived on the scene and many of them immediately got sick. The putrid smells were almost too much. Oh, my God. This group or jury, I should say, agreed that there was a major crime committed. They next had to look at Martha's mental state. Martha at this point was almost catatonic. A sheriff sat outside her cell at night because he was worried she may try to harm herself. But during that time, she told him that after Mariah hit her in her her back, she feared for her life. Here's the thing. Mariah was an 80 to 85 year old, frail, emaciated woman. So if you were that scared, why would you go back with an ax? When you yes. Were outside? A hundred percent. She asked, oh, he asked her if she felt bad about it. And she said, no, because she didn't do it to be mean. Hmm. Then that makes it okay. While she told him this, she was grinning the whole time. Okay, that's creepy. That's so creepy. That gave me the chills. I know. He reported that Martha had cried and paced all night long. She began banging her head against the bars until she bled and alternated between singing and praying. She was really not doing well. They called another doctor who actually knew of her and said that he had tried to have her committed in the past and encouraged her brother to get her in an asylum pre-Alfred days. When that same brother, Richard, came to her to see her in jail, she said, no, Jesus got him. I don't know you. In autumn, oh. this is chilling, but the song Martha was constantly singing to herself went like this. Oh, I can't go to heaven. To hell I must go murderers don't go to heaven and that's where I'm bound to go. 
Upon finishing the song, Martha had a seizure and collapsed to the floor. What? Yeah. Martha Haney was deemed insane by three doctors during her trial. She was committed to the Michigan Asylum for the Dangerous and Criminally Insane. At the asylum, the doctors diagnosed her immediately with consumption, which is tuberculosis, and she died only 17 months later. It was noted that she had been sick like this for a very long time. Whether that contributed to her mental state, we will never know. The location of Martha Haney's grave is unknown. Alfred fell in love with a woman named Alice, but the neighbors told on them that they weren't married and living together, so they were both jailed for months. They got married once they were released, and from all accounts, it sounds like he had a pretty decent life after everything that happened. Poor Alfred lost his mom and his wife in the same moment in a really gruesome way. The Haney House at 320 Elevator Street was inhabited by people until it was burned down in 1990 by the Williamston Fire Department and the foundation still stands. Wow. <laughs> My sources were the podcast Morbid, dannyhendricks.medium.com and newspapers.com. I love the Morbid podcast. I do too, but that one was, was morbid. <laughs> it was in chance. Yes, it was. Oh. And I'm glad you, what she told me on break was that she had to Google different words for puke. <laughs> I did. I sure did. Because there were so many times that they're just like constantly talking about, because I mean, it's 1897, you know, I don't know if they tried smelling salts or what, but oh, yeah. they were like going it's like constant in the story because they had to leave the scene for a while. Right. Yeah. They went to get the people and the place was like really nasty. I guess like there was rotting food. Everyone oh smelled like rotting food decay. Oh no. And then because the body had been partly burned and then covered in water, it just made it so bad. And blood from what I understand, old blood smells really, really putrid. So the whole, but like you would walk up to Yummy. the house, it hits you, hit you like a ton of bricks. So it was like really gross, but yeah, I just found this one really interesting, uh, throughout the whole thing, just partly like how gruesome it was, but also that, you know, Martha had been ex exhibiting mental health issues for many, many, many years. And no one, you know, unfortunately without the lack of um, you know, science and, yeah. and you know, studying, you know, she, she got, she kind of fell by the wayside. And then unfortunately someone died because of that. Right. You know, it's really tragic. I'm glad, I'm glad that Alfred ended up having an okay life mm -hmm. because good Lord, can you imagine? No, that would fuck you up. Yes. It when it said that the eyes and the mouth were open on the face. Yes. Oh, I know I'm just sitting here and you're like, are you still there? I'm like, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> well, I read this case to my husband who does not listen to my podcast and partly because he is a little sensitive to this, but when I read it to him, he just looked at me and was like, this is what you do for fun. 
Okay. I could just picture the fear in his eyes. <laughs> the fact that he's like, oh, great. Her and her best friend do this for fun. I, know. I was like, babe, what's other words for puke? I need other words for puke. He was not helpful in Which that anyway. Which is so funny because but... Dustin doesn't really listen to the podcast either, but he, I always proofread my stories to him and he yeah. always will help me with them, but it's not really his thing. So that's so funny no. that Josh is exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, it is not Josh's thing. He does not enjoy our podcast. <laughs> when I read it out loud, he's like, Jesus Christ, Aaron, God damn it. <laughs> I can <laughs> just picture Josh being like that were- too. They followed the blood trail, but it's just, but what's even funnier though, is that Dustin and Josh don't listen, but their moms both do. True. That is true. Some of our biggest fans are (laughs) mother-in-laws. That is true. Just hi, Um, Terry. Hi, Michelle. And then of course my very supportive mother who always comments on our Instagrams with emojis. She is the yeah. queen emoji. <laughs> Absolutely. And then Stabby Jim. Yes. Oh, yeah. We haven't mentioned Stabby Jim in quite some time. We have not. He's still stabby. Carries like five knives. <laughs> At a time. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> he has like a pocket mm-hmm. knife, like a one of those. Uh, oh, gosh. What are they called? The well, he's so disappointed in you. Right Swiss now. Army knives. And like he just has a abundance of knives on him at any time no every time every time I talk to you I'm like did he give you another knife (laughs) yes for Christmas last year I got like four (laughs) oh my god stocking stuffers (laughs) favorite thing to do and him and Dustin just love to talk about knives and knives 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 so stabby Jim is very very much still stabby Jim (laughs) that's good that's good that's good to hear yes (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I just, I thought this case was like just a fucking whirlwind. It really was going and it kept on going. And you're like, and you're right. That point when she says that she, they say that she was grinning. Oh God. It gives me the full, just even thinking about it now. I'm like sinister man. And (laughs) and the song. Yeah. I thought the song part was like, Oh God. What if she was grinning at the same time of singing? She probably was. Oh my gosh. But um, there was an author who wrote a book um, on this, this particular case. And he ended up calling it to hell. I must go, which is one of the, were one of the sentences in her, in her song. And um, I guess it's really comprehensive. And his like great, great grandfather worked on that case. So he did all of this research. It started with ancestry.com and then it led into this book. And supposedly it's very good. Interesting. I forget his name. So look up the book to hell. I must go. And that would be where you would find it. Cause I don't remember his name. (laughs) 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 Well, we'll we'll name him in the next episode. (laughs) Sure. Well, we'll, you know what? We can put it on the um, Insta. Yeah. We'll put it on the Insta. Look for it on, on there. (laughs) Yeah. So this was fun. I am looking forward to our next episode. Uh, but <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to your case. Because no one I already warned her. There's so, a child involved in the next case. I don't like that. I don't like that. 
That's it. I'm only doing dismemberments from here on out. That's what you get. Autumn. Hey, hey, this child deserves her story to be told. Oh my God, I thought you were going to say deserve to be murdered. I was like, what? Jesus. <laughs> no, God. no, no. This is murder, not murdering. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anyone deserves to be murdered. No, absolutely not. No one, even the worst, even the worst. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I can't go to heaven to hell. I must go. Keeps <laughs> <laughs> go to heaven and goats go to hell. Okay. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Um, okay. Oh so we're going to end our episode now. I can't believe you did that. Also, I just want to add that when you said, and it went like this, I fully expected. You thought I was going to sing. Yes, I fully expected <laughs> this to be like, you being like, this is my moment. Because for anyone that doesn't know Erin, she freaking loves She's karaoke. It is her jam. And so I was like, here I it goes. Go at, least, at least once or twice a week. Yes. So I do love karaoke. I thought this was about to be the mashup of your dreams, your podcast oh and the karaoke. I, honestly, <laughs> I thought about making up a melody for it and I was just going <laughs> to sing it to you and then just pause for a really long time. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I was like, Autumn's going <laughs> to I'm not kidding though. I really, really thought you were about to sing. <laughs> I should have done it to the tune of like a nursery rhyme and made yes. it really creepy. It would have creeped me out for one. And then for two, it would have been your dream come true. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I'll just do big runs at the end of it. Yes. Really take it to another level. Bring out my whistle tone. It's going to be great. No, we promise there will be no actual singing on this podcast. We don't promise, okay. Autumn promises, but I don't. I'm making that clear right now on record. I may sing in an episode. Oh, no. Just Brace yourselves, everybody. The queen of karaoke your, has spoken. Your pleasure. <laughs> oh my Anywho, goodness. On that note. Okay. We'll see you all next week with a brand new episode, do check out our Instagram because we will be posting pictures from both of our cases. So you can see mm-hmm. the people that we're talking about. Yes, Mine has artist rendering. So, Oh, I love it when those are done. I know. Right. I'm always wondering how accurate they are though. Anyway. <laughs> um, so we'll see you next week. Follow us on Instagram. Send us your cases. Cause we love that. Yes. At, uh, info at murder, not you can go to our website that also will have the pictures on it. So you know how to find us. Yes, we are very accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's everything. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.